gentlemen, Pastor John Irwin. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's just go right to the meddling right from the very beginning. Let's just push this back here. So let's just clarify a few things. I hear in recent weeks there's been an over and under about when in the sermon I will tear up. Dustin and other will, I'm telling you right now, if I didn't cry at my daughter's wedding, I can't cry today. It wouldn't be fair, all right? But seriously, you know how much we love this church, and this is an awesome Sunday. You know, uh, we talk about takeoffs and landings, you know, what's most important, you know, uh, in flying, and in working in churches, uh, people don't always remember how you come, but they always remember how you leave. And so today, I want to give you seven lessons that I've learned from you. Now, one of the things you've got to get used to, uh, Pastor Scott is quite the evangelist, and uh, you know, he's talked about awkward evangelism, going up and talking to people and just being out there. And I'm just going to let you decide whether this is a true or apocryphal story. Let's just say that someone visited his church at Harvest Bible Chapel. And so Scott's practice was to go and visit parishioners who had visited, you know, uh, the previous Sunday. And so he was armed with his business cards in hand and his Bible. And so he went and knocked on the door of this house and knocked several times. And uh, it's obvious that somebody's at home, but no one comes to the door. So on the back of his business card, he writes Revelation 3.20. Now, you know what that verse is. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone comes, you know, you know the deal, right? And so uh, he doesn't think of it. He sticks it in the door and he goes home. The next day is Sunday, and he's preaching, and his business card comes back through the offering plate. The ushers go, I don't know what this is about, Pastor, but here's your business card with Revelation 3.20, but there's something else written on the back. He flips it over, and on the back of the business card, it says, Genesis 3.10. And let me read it to you. Behold, I stand at the door, knock. Genesis 3.10 says, and he said, and I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. (laughs) You will just have to find out whether that is true or not true. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Well, we're going to have a great time this morning, and I do want you to know that these students are not shy, and I know for a fact that they have been listening to my sermons about supporting missionaries and projects because I was hit up by a number of you with those packets, and I did sign those. And so, just so all of you know that whether I could remember who I said yes to or not, I'm just covering all of you. And so John will have the check so you don't have to find me because I'm going to be hiding from you today. All right. So there we go. Now, today, 30 Sundays, uh, we are wrapping up our final message in this four-part series, Great Expectations. You remember Lynn Sanukian started us four weeks ago. Week two, we talked about the expectations a church could have for a pastor. Last week, what are the expectations a pastor could have of the church? And so today, 
Uh, you know that I love you, and these are my prayers for you. I, you have taught me so much over these last uh, several months, and in fact, I thought it would be appropriate not only what you've taught me, but what God has taught me uh, in being here at the church. Now, I do know some of you are going to ask me this afterwards, so I just want to get this out of the way. God's timing is perfect. He never allows us to know exactly what our next assignment is too much ahead of time, and sure enough, on Friday, got a call from a church in San Diego, and they want us to interview on Monday, tomorrow. I said, I'm a little busy. I'm playing racquetball. Could we make... You said, serious? I did. I didn't say exactly I was playing racquetball. I did say I had some other assignments. But, um, but I am going to be down there on Friday, and so we may know after Friday what that next assignment might be. But either way, you have to understand something about what it is to transition here. Because I want you to not to be uh, wondering, why did we just completely disappear? We will be here next Sunday, and uh, upon Pastor Scott's request, he asked us to be here, and we're gonna have a little special part in the service next week and kind of literally passing the baton to him. However, after next Sunday, we're going to disappear for several weeks, all right? And that is not because we don't love you. We've already established that I didn't come here to be your father or your, or your daddy. I just want to be the favorite uncle. We've talked about that. And so it's appropriate for an interim than then to just kind of fade into the background for quite a while and let Scott and Adrian get rooted in here. That does not diminish our love and prayers for you, uh, but we will do that from afar. And who knows, sometime maybe next summer uh, when everybody's on vacation, we'll sneak in and say hello. But uh, that's how that goes, and that's a good thing, and it's a positive thing. So, a few words of advice uh, and encouragement. Lessons to live by is what I would call this, and lessons I've learned. Number one, people take priority over programs. People take priority over programs. Now, many of these points actually have a scriptural basis, but this one just seems so evident. I told you a few weeks ago, one of my heroes in the faith was Howard Hendricks, and he said this phrase, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so here's some things I've learned from you about that. The very first week I was here, I said, let's do this little thing called pastor chats, and I'll just be available thinking like nobody would show up, Right? And Nancy said, what did you say? Because the phone started ringing and people started coming. And for a month and a half, you just filled my calendar. And I learned some things from you during that time. One of the things I learned from you and something that I've really tried to practice is sometimes people just need to be able to get something off their chest. And when we as pastors are all distracted and looking at other, every other all around, in those quiet moments, what they want is look you right in the eye. And they want to know, Pastor, are you hearing me? I don't care whether you agree with me, but are you hearing me? And so I've made an effort over these last eight months, if you've got my attention, that you have my full attention. And I want to give you that respect. And I would say that's a great lesson for all of us because many of you are torn in different directions and people are tapping on the shoulder. Give people the full attention that they deserve. It's interesting that Jesus 
was never in a hurry. Think about that. All the mass of humanity pressing in on him, and he was never in a hurry. In fact, we have examples in the Scripture where people were tugging on his coat. He didn't even know their name, but he felt their presence. And so a good word for all of us in the church is when the programs are more important than the people, then we've lost our way. You have more than survived in the last eight months. You have been thriving, and it's because you care for each other and the world around you. Now, I got to tell you something. Some of you are brand new today. Go, what's going on here? In fact, it was funny today. I met a guy. Here's, he's brand new here from Chicago. He says, are you the guy from Chicago? <laughs> no, I, he's next week, but, but he's going to be awesome, right? And so, give people time. Live your life with intentionality. And something I've learned during this is I need to talk less and listen more. When people are a priority in your life, we always have something to say. But maybe it's time to listen more and talk less. This other idea about people and ministry, look at this phrase on the screen. Relationships in the church are messy, unpredictable, and they require constant attention. Constant attention. And I would just say, when you feel at times like bailing, when you feel misunderstood, when you're not exactly sure who's right, who's wrong, that if you will continue to treat one another with love and respect, that is the order of the day. That is the order of the day. Number two, second lesson is that we need to lead by example as believers not by edict. We need to lead by example, not by edict. And I want to do something because this will be a, a little longer passage I want us to look at, and I think we're going to put the verses up on the screen. And if you see it there, would you do me a favor? We have not actually read together the Scriptures. I've read them to you for months, but I want you to stand in honor of God's words, and, and so we're all on the same text because I know you have the message, the NIV, the ESV, the King James. Let's read this version, the New American Standard, together uh, and look at what it means to lead by example. And as you're reading it, you're going to see three couplets. And you can compare and contrast how God's calling us to lead and how the world leads. And let's read it together, and then I'll make a few comments. Let's read it together. Therefore, I exalt the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those who allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So in the text, you may be seated. You can see that there is your, the manner that pastors should be shepherding, their motivation, and their method. Their manner is very simply stated out. And he, and he starts, um, 
He does these comparisons. First of all, my manner, serving voluntarily. It's not I, I, I have to, it's an I want to. It's serving voluntarily. It's kind of like the difference between getting to lick the ice cream off the spoon versus getting to pull weeds. Those are two different things. I want to lick the spoon. I don't really like pulling the weeds. So serving voluntarily, not under compulsion, not under compulsion. I got to tell you, these last eight months, um, there's been nothing compulsory about it for me. See, I don't feel any pressure. And the reason why is because God's allowed me to tell you what I really believe what his truth is. And from day one, my plan was to be that kind of John the Baptist, absent kind of hairy back and funny clothes and weird eating habits. Um, But I knew that I got a decrease. So first of all, Jesus Christ could be lifted up. But as, as Scott comes, you are ready. You are prepared. Practice is over. The 30-month waiting time is done, and it is go time. And so his motivation, my motivation, we don't come under compulsion. We came to serve. Our motivation, ministering eagerly, ministering eagerly. That literally it means in the Greek with intent, with excitement, and uh, readiness, and literally, it means ministering eagerly, not just for compensation, or as it say, uh, not just for greed. Uh, the ministry isn't about money. It's not about payment. Literally, the word sordid gain, whether you get paid in pennies, pounds, or pesos, it, it, it doesn't matter. I tell you one thing I loved. I, you're going to think this is crazy. When I came from my little church in Moore Park, uh, we had a little Bad News Bears office on L.A. Avenue that nobody knew where it was, and it was in a Sunday school room of another church. I didn't like it. Can you tell that maybe I'm wired to be around people a little bit, you know? And one of the things that I love, because he's sitting in the front row, and wherever John is, he's probably out working and doing something in the back. But I loved being in the office when Chad and John and Nancy we're all in the office. And then Dustin would blow in, and then it was all over after that, you know. <laughs> but I loved being around the people because there was this eagerness. We were brainstorming, and what about this for worship, and could we do that? And there was just excitement in the air. And so you got to know something. Your pastors, your staff, you, you care for them, I understand that. But they come with a motivation. They minister eagerly. They want to, not just for the payoff or the payment. Thirdly, the method, whether it's Scott, it's me, any pastor, we want to lead by example. We want to lead by example. It's literally that same word, tupas, to make an impression. And we understand this. Sheep are led, cattle are driven. And we want to lead by example. And this is this idea of leading, not uh, giving edicts. And so I want to tell you that what I've learned, it's easier to guide you than to guilt trip you. It's easier for me to encourage you and not exasperate you. And what I've learned at times when I've been provoked, and maybe you've been that where someone just provokes you, 
I've learned from you that maybe it's better to just reflect a little longer. Don't send that email and overreact less. I don't have to tell you everything that I'm thinking and give God time to let that mull over in our hearts. And so ultimately, if I'm leading by example, then I'm not lording it over. I'm not one that's coming with power and and pushing my way through. And so it's, ministry is not about pressure, it's not about payment, it's not about power. And ultimately, for you to evaluate the success of your next pastor is not going to be in nickels and noses. It'll be something far more subtle. It'll be the anecdotal stories of changed lives. It'll be the stories of who are, we are becoming, not all the reports of what we're doing. Because God is far more interested in what's going on inside of you first. And there'll be plenty of things for you to do as he takes care of the internal. Then we can focus on the external. Now, that being said, we can navel gaze all the rest of our life, but there's no time left to just be introspective. It's go time. It's time for us as a church to say, we are ready. God, use us as you see fit. And every day as you swing your feet out of bed, you put your foot on the floor, you say, God, who is it today that you want me to have contact with to make a difference in someone else's life? Number three, third lesson I've learned from God and from you is that God is more interested in your direction than your perfection. Now, I've told you that before, but I've got to remind some of you, some of you come here so beaten down. You feel defeated. I know I see it in your faces like, oh, I messed it up again this week. And yet, if we look back over the last eight months, the trajectory of your life, you are moving towards Jesus. You're becoming more conformed to his image. And with that, you need to understand a couple of things. Live life looking forward without regrets. In this past year, both through this church and through other ministries, here are the kinds of people that I've dealt with. I've dealt with many people who are, are beating themselves up over a failed marriage, feeling responsible, wishing they would have done something different. You can't live in the past. I've talked to someone in this past year who's had an abortion long time ago and never, ever felt fully forgiven. I've met some of you who have had exceedingly difficult experiences with your children. And you wish you could have taken back several explosive, angry conversations. And yet, friends, if that isn't exactly what Jesus came to die for and forgive, what is it? I think that for all of us, we know we want to be conformed to Jesus and become more like him. I want to suggest when you fail... A different approach. First of all, 1 John 1, 9 is a good start, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. 
So if in fact you confess that and you're still feeling bad, then you have one of two options. Either Satan, and I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, is beating you up and giving you false guilt, or maybe the Holy Spirit's leading you to say, hey, maybe you've got to go make that thing right. And so there's a difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation we often bring on ourselves. And so God is more interested in your direction than your perfection. Live life forward, looking forward without regret. Now, this idea of regret, you know, the regret family has three kids in it, woulda, shoulda, and coulda, all right? They're all brothers, and they all have the last name, regret, and it's time to get rid of the woulda, shoulda, couldas that just weigh us down. Um, You may not have known, but I came here with a bit of regret. 22 minutes, but, I, I'm, but I'm pulling it back together here. We have a winner. I, I came here with a little regret, and the regret that I came with was I did this intense ministry for four and a half years, and there just seemed to be very little response. The church didn't grow. It shrank. People didn't come. They left. In fact, I found out that the field of dreams approach to preaching, if you preach, they will come. Uh-uh. If you preach, they will leave, you know? <laughs> and so I came here going, I don't know if I can do this thing. I don't know what I have to offer. And I came here, and I preached a sermon on July 15th about the prodigal son. And there was just this Holy Spirit moment in this place. And I got to tell you, whatever I've done for you has paled compared to what you've done for me. And so I say that with great, great thankfulness. Now, secondly, if God's more interested in your direction, your perfection, the second point under that is God is the God of the second chance. God is the God of the second chance. You do not have to be chained to your past. And when you think of extending grace, You're extending grace to everybody else around you. It's okay to take a little grace for yourself as well. Take a little grace to yourself. You know, this this past Thursday night, I had such a great time. I got to speak to our college and young adult group. And um, by the way, they do have it wired and dialed in there on Thursday nights. If you feed them, they will come, all right? (laughs) That, we got got that straight. And, And... I'll be remiss because I can't mention everybody in this church, but the flags have just done an unbelievable job of creating a loving, warm, grace-filled environment in their home for our students and our young adults. And I'm so glad my last Thursday night was spent with you guys. I appreciate it. Number four, spiritual warfare is real, friends, and not imagined. Now, I, I know that sometimes you go, oh, no, do, 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 This is a twilight spiritual warfare moment. This is what the Scripture says, friends. Ephesians 6, 
put on the full armor of God so that you will not be able to stand, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on what? The full armor of God so that you will be able to what? Resist in the evil day and have done everything to stand firm. So I want to just suggest four things to you. Satan wants to derail this place, friends, and he's going to do it by two ways. Number one, he's going to derail this place by causing you discouragement, discouragement. And if you're discouraged, that often leads to depression and feeling like a failure. Uh, One of my really good friends, John Bynum, had a situation with a, a relative of his that was depressed and suicidal this week. We were able to talk, and he was able to get some resources to his nephew. Discouragement. Number two, dissension. Satan will derail this place through dissension. If we're fighting with each other, then we lose focus on what God's called us to do to reach people who are far from God. So whether it's discouragement or dissension. Then, on a more subtle way, he wants to distract you. Those are the overt attacks. He wants to distract you by these two things. Number one, temptation. And if we're continually giving in to that kind of hidden secret closet sin in our lives, then we're going to live guilty Christian lives. And when we live guilty Christian lives, then we're going to feel like hypocrites. Remember the illustration of the two chairs, one foot in the Word and one foot in the world, and the world is pulling us stretching us. And then third, uh, secondly, he'll distract us by the treasures in our life. And if money and wealth becomes your God, then you're going to focus on that rather than on him. Look at Matthew six thirty three. But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Number five, fifth lesson that I've learned is circumstances don't cause you to do anything. They only reveal what you truly believe. This is a life principle, friends. If you can get this one thing out of seven, this is a game changer. This is something that it's taken me a long time to learn. You see, Mark 7, 15 says this, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of man are what defile the man. In other words, internal. Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks, so is he. And so here's what happens. When we throw temper tantrums, when we get mad, when we raise our voice in anger, don't blame it on the stress of your present experience. This is what was in your heart. The circumstance didn't cause it It only revealed it. And what happens is we get on this treadmill of busyness and we're rocketing through life. And we don't slow down long enough to let the Holy Spirit say, hello, McFly, come on. You see, one thing that I've learned from you 
is that I needed to hear from God before I listened to everybody else and what was going on. Believe it or not, there were times where I'm not exactly sure what's the right counsel to give to the elders. And I would go to meetings and I said, Lord, I, I, I'm, I, need, I need your help. Because there are circumstances that are clouding my perspective, but I can tell you internally, when you want to blame somebody else for your behavior, you're on a road called L-O-S-E-R. You're going to lose, friends, because that's, God's going to use the circumstance, the circumstance to change your character. You see, our character is going to be revealed in times of crisis, not created by it. So I've referred to this before, but when you leave the security of a church like this, and I call this a safe place, it's been a very safe place for me, it's a little unnerving. I think I, I think I told the elders this the other day, and I've told a few other people, you know what? No offense, but you guys have ruined me, all right? You have ruined me. I mean, where again will I find a church that has been as loving, as affirming, as patient, and as kind to a stranger like me? And I'm telling you, if you just continue to do what you've been doing, Scott and Adrian are going to be here for 20 years because they won't want to leave because this is going to be the place where God's... Think about what you have in your future. Now, think about this. This is pretty cool. How old is their oldest kid? Eight years old? You're talking that in the formative years of their children's lives, they're going to do life with you and with your kids, and they're going to grow up here. And then in a few years, Chicago's where they visit grandma and grandpa if they haven't convinced them to move west <laughs> or Vancouver. And what's cool is their kids are going to hang out with your eight-year-olds and six-year-olds and five-year-olds. And they're going to become best friends. And over time, Scott is going to be that pastor that you say, oh my goodness, we knew he was good but we had no idea what God would do through him to change us. And there will be this time where you're going to come to a place where there'll be a little butting of the heads. And there will be a time where there'll be a little tension. And there'll be a time where you go, mm, this doesn't feel perfect. You know what? No ministry is perfect. And there's going to be change. We've already I'm warning you again. There's going to be change. By the way, I got plenty of feedback that apparently this one phrase resonated with 50% of this congregation. And it was this one last week. When mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. <laughs> so we agree. But we also know that he's going to be bold. And if he's doing what God's called him to do, He's not always going to agree with what you think. And you're not always going to agree with what he thinks. But in the end, let's make sure that we trust God through that crisis. Let's trust that the circumstances aren't revealing some 
craziness. What we do know, though, is those circumstances didn't cause us to do anything. It only reveals what's inside of us. Number six, Jesus allows my hard times so that I will learn to never trust myself. God uses the hard times in my life so I will never learn, never ever learn to trust in myself. This is one of the most startling passages of Scripture that we just gloss over. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure for beyond our ability to endure. Far beyond our ability to endure. Let me pause there for a second. You've been there. I know some of you are living in this life right now. You're under this crushing pressure of caring for an aging parent, for a business deal that's gone south, for a boss who's a complete, no offense, moron, and is causing your life complete misery. Think of all the things that are weighing you down. He says, we're under great pressure. I think Paul understood pressure. Far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Now, I don't make, I don't make like of that at all. Some of you in this room have despaired of even your life. If it wasn't for a phone call, a pat on the shoulder, a well-timed encouragement note, you were just in the tank. Well, Paul can relate to that. And what does he say? He says, indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened. Why does all that stuff happen in our life? It's for one very simple reason. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. I don't know about you, but I like it more comfy and cozy. Do I really want that life? The Jesus life is not comfortable, friends. We talk about Aslan the Lion, if you read the Chronicles of Narnia, one of the greatest lines in that book and that movie, describing Aslan. He's not safe. He's not safe because he's the boogeyman. He's not safe because if you follow Jesus, you're going to be on the cutting edge of experiencing things that only he will bring you through. So what do we trust in? I want to remind you again. The things that we fear the most losing often are the things that are truly the gods of our life. You're fearful about losing wealth, security, relationships. That's what tells me what's important to us. If I've taught you anything in the last eight months, you do not put your trust in a pastor or a job or a relationship or, a fi or finances. Remember Jeremiah 9, 23? Don't boast in your, the wise man boasts of his wisdom, rich man of his riches. It's not about brains, bronze, beauty, bucks, none of it. None of those things. What you trust in is the Lord. Old Testament, Exodus, some trust in chariots, we trust in the Lord. So do you, some say, but, but, but what about trusting your instincts? My wife has good instincts. Hey, I would never argue with my wife's instincts. Let's see if that's straight. 
But I would never trust my instincts unless I was 100% sure that I was God-saturated in my mind with his word because my instincts are unreliable. My instincts are unreliable. And so I want to say this to you, friends. God is to be trusted even when you don't get it. Even when you don't get it. And you've heard that phrase, we trust his heart even when we don't see his hand at work. Now, I have not asked them to do this, and I know they're going to be embarrassed beyond belief. But I want the staff of this church who are in this room and the elders who are in this room to stand here for a second. And I want them to stand right here. I didn't want to warn them because they would like, oh, I got a cold today. <laughs> so if you are in this room and you're a staff person or an elder, I want you to stand in front of me. I want to say some things to the church about you guys. And I know John's out there working somewhere, and I know there's some elders somewhere else, but... I can text him what you're saying. Okay. So our elders and our staff have been at this search thing and running and leading this church for 30 months. 30 months. It was July of 2010. And I got to tell you something. You as a church have given me a ton of attaboys and kudos and affirmation. And you're going to give a ton more to Scott coming in. But I got to tell you right now, the heroes in my mind at this church are standing right here. And they deserve a standing ovation as we give it to God and to them. Thank you. Stand up. Thank you. Thank you. I love you. I love you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You see, when we're trusting God with our church, we know that this hasn't been easy for them. Now, I would have done this with them, but I want to tell Jana and every other elder's wife and Erica and Amber and every other pastor's wife. And Doug, I didn't forget about you. Doug Angel, that's Nancy's husband, just to be fair. The spouses of the people, if they were married, standing up there, are also the ones who often at nights, in the wee hours of the morning, are praying and pleading on your behalf. They didn't do that by themselves. And that's a good model, because that's a safe place for them to be able to talk as well. And so God is to be trusted even when we don't get it. And this is it, last lesson. Number seven, peace comes from knowing God, not by knowing the future. You want peace in your life? It doesn't come from knowing the future. Philippians 4, 
verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Look at verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know exactly what my future holds, or Cheryl. But I got to tell you this. I wouldn't have traded the last eight months for anything, for anything. You've restored my confidence that I could be useful to a church as a senior pastor. I thought I was going to be headed down the executive pastor role, and I have this weird personality that likes process and detail and things like that, but I've got this crazy little wimpy emotional side of me that's a beanbag that loves people and wants to talk in counseling. And then I've got this other twisted sense of humor that sometimes comes out in preaching. And um, I don't know where that leads me, but I do know this, that you are not finishing anything today. It's the next chapter in this wonderful saga called ABF. And so I want to say to you that nothing entered or enters your life accidentally. You see, behind every experience we have as believers, there is a loving, sovereign God who's continually working out His things according to His purpose. Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for His good to those who love God to those who are called according to His purpose. I love you. I believe in you. You are ready. And I really am excited. And I'll close with this. The best way to describe the emotion of this final few words is the same emotion at my daughter's wedding. Complete joy that she's getting married a little sadness that we're losing her, but so glad that someone else would be paying her freight the rest of her life. (laughs) And with that, I want to close in prayer as Chad leads us in a song that I am not going to make it through. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church. May you bless them with abundant blessing. May you fulfill the needs of their deepest desires. That, Lord, that as they march as a unified army of Christ-following, Jesus-loving, Holy Spirit-filled believers, that they would make a difference that would last for eternity. That they, through the love and connection that they provide with one another, just flow over this Conejo Valley. That Agura Hills would not be the same because the Christians at Agura Bible Fellowship are making a difference that only they could attribute to Jesus Christ. May you be glorified, lifted up, and we will give you all the praise and the glory and the honor now and forevermore. Amen. All right.
In 14 years of ministry and 25 years of singing seriously, I've never, ever sung this song, believe it or not. So the first time I've ever sung this song is for Pastor John, who has absorbed a lot from me. <laughs> it's true. So if you know the chorus, you're mandatory, legally required to sing along. Are you ready? It goes like this. Packing up the dreams God planted in the fertile soil of you. I can't believe the hopes He's granted. Means a chapter in your life is through. But we'll keep you close. our hearts in big and small ways will keep the love that keeps us strong you have to sing if you know it and friends of friends forever is the Lord's Lord of them and a friend will not say never cause a welcome will not end it's hard to let you go in the Father's hands we know that a lifetime's not too long to live as friends and with the faith and love God's given springing from the hope we know Pray the joy you live in is the strength that now you show. So we'll keep you close as always. It won't even seem you've gone. Cause our hearts in the love that keeps us strong and friends are friends forever if the Lord's Lord of them and a friend will not say never cause a welcome will not end though it's hard to let you go in the Father's hands we know a lifetime's not too long to live as friends, oh yeah. And friends are friends forever, if the Lord's Lord of them. And a friend will not say never, cause a welcome will not end. Though it's hard to let you go, in the Father's hands we know. That a lifetime's not too long to live as friends. Though it's hard to let you go in the Father's hands, we know 
that a lifetime's not too long to live as friends. No, a lifetime's not too long to live as friends. As we close, um, I'd like to invite the elders that are here and the staff that's here to come back up. And I'd like to invite John and Cheryl to both, uh, both come up and, and join us as well. Uh, you, can, you can come up and stand here now, yeah. Uh, do you need a time, some time to recover? <laughs> uh, you know, these are the folks. John and Cheryl have had a huge impact in all of our church, but these are the people that John has impacted the most, the people that he's dealt with and been with and spent hours and hours with, and he has, uh, you have, John, made a, an impact in our lives, and, and we want to thank you for that so much and, and pray for you. You know, last summer we were looking for um, some people to do some guest preaching because we you know, didn't have a pastor, and we didn't have an interim pastor, and so uh, we had gotten a few recommendations, and I'd call these guys, and I'd say, you know, hey, we're looking for somebody to come and, and speak. Would you be available to do that? And typically, they say, yeah, sure. What time do you want me to be there? Well, I called John, and, you know, John's like, well, what style of service do you have? What, what's the worship like? What's the dress code? Uh, you know, what, what types of things, how do you like your preaching? Do you like to do topical or exegetical? Are you in the middle of a series now that you'd like me to plug in? I've never heard somebody ask so many questions. It was, it was unbelievable. And uh, I thought, wow, this is, he really, like, wants to know who we are. And, and he started asking me questions. I still remember because I was, like, in a hotel room up in Paso Robles, and I'm on the phone, cell phone with him out in the hall. And... Um, he, so he's like, tell me about your church. Kind of where are you? What's the, what's the deal? He didn't really know anything about us. And so I kind of explained where we were. And he says, well, you know, he goes, I do some consulting too. You know, if you guys ever want, uh, you know, just to, to kind of talk a little bit. So, hey, yeah, we need some consulting. So, you know, John came and I said, let's, let's see how it goes for Sunday. You know, so, and it uh, went pretty well. And we invited John to come meet with the elders and, and do some consulting with us. And and it was very quickly that we realized that God had put us together with John and that this was definitely a God thing. And we asked him to be our interim pastor, not knowing what that would entail or how long that would go or what that would be like. But, um, you know, John has a, a unique blend that makes him, I think, ideally suited to be a, a, a interim pastor. Uh, you know, he's got this humor and, but he's got this directness at the same time. Uh, you know, he sees the big picture really well, but he will get down in the details of every little line item and go through it line by line. I'm so sorry. <laughs> John is a, John is a strong leader, but he, he is not overbearing. Um, he doesn't push his own way. He's humble. And in God's providence, my friend, you have been exactly what we have needed as a church, and we thank God for you. So I'd like to ask everybody to stand up, please.
And um, maybe John and Cheryl, you guys could come down here, just in front to the middle. Uh, elders and staff, you guys can come lay your hands on, on John and Cheryl. And let me pray. Whew. God, you're so good. And um, in your timing, you knew what we needed. And this has not been something, this, this period of 30 months has not been something that caught you by surprise. You weren't wringing your hands saying, what am I going to do about this situation? Lord, it's been difficult from our perspective, but you use this to bring Roland Neednoggle to spend time with us, man, that just leads leaders around the world, and somehow he ended up at, at ABF, and he led us, and in your providence, you've brought us John and Cheryl, and Lord, they have encouraged us, and they have been exactly what we needed, and um, they've given us joy and hope and excitement for the future and helped us see your purpose in all of this when it seemed so dark to us. And God, I just, I pray for John and Cheryl now. I thank you for them so much, but I do pray for this next chapter. Um, I pray that you would open doors, that you would show them where you want them to minister next. Um, Lord, that you would have been preparing them for this next season of ministry as you are preparing us. And I pray that you would continue to use them in a great way to further your kingdom. We know that you will, Father. We pray that we would have this friendship with the two of them uh, forever, Lord, that they are so near and dear to our hearts. And we thank you so much for them. And you are so good. As we go now, Lord, to, uh, to celebrate them and to bless them and to have lunch with them and to have this whole celebration time, God, uh, may we just walk in your joy knowing that you are a God of great joy who has a great sense of humor. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. See you on the patio.